And then this morning, this is the thing that if you don't get those other things, you can't do this last thing. Let me say it like this. If you don't get those first four things, you should not do this last thing. You shouldn't. It's not that you can't. You can. You can go out and witness and tell people all about Jesus all you want and, and without the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction and doing all this stuff. And you can try to beat Jesus into everybody you want, and it ain't going to happen. You can't beat them in it. You can't grieve those people enough to come to Jesus. You can't convict or guilt people enough to come to Christ. You don't have these four things intact, then you can't do what we're going to talk about today, and that's the witness. We're called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Even Brandon sang about it, Lord, I want to be a witness. You can take what's wrong and make it right, right? I want to be a witness for the Lord. So if you've got your Bibles, look at Acts chapter number 22, and we're going to look at verse number 1 and read down through this, and this is really not the meat of it all, so y'all pray for me today. Pray, say, Lord, help Steve to not get sidetracked and help him not to talk about foolish things but help them preach the truth today and don't waste my time, right? That's what you want. I know you don't want me to waste your time, but don't put me on a time limit and I won't waste your time. <clears throat> Look what it says in verse 1. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Just kind of put your thought there for a minute and let me bring you up to speed of where we are in this verse. You automatically can kind of see out of the scripture that Paul is about to speak. He's about to speak to a bunch of men, a council of men, but also it's his own brethren, which would be kinspeople and fathers is what he's talking about. So he's addressing men of the council. He's addressing people that are believers in Jesus Christ, and he's addressing people that are his patriarchs, the ones that taught him, the ones that schooled him and studied him on things. And so now he's fixing to make his defense. Paul has been going through cities preaching the gospel. He's been on missionary journeys sharing the gospel. He's been telling people that, that he speaks in tongues more than them all. And people go, what do you mean? Well, it's Paul, a church of God or Pentecostal? No, Paul believed that whenever God led him to these islands that had barbarians on it or had people that were unlearned people, Paul was able through the Holy Ghost of God to speak the truth to them in what we would say in Scripture would be an unknown tongue, but the word tongue in the the Bible is the Greek word glossaria, which means the word we get glossary. It means not just gibberish or just wild speaking. It means speaking with language, with words, with tongue. And so if Paul was in Spain or Paul was at Crete as he did, he would speak their language and they were amazed by that. Even at the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that all of the people present there that day, they heard Peter and James and John, a bunch of unlearned fishermen. They called them unlearned Galileans. They were just a bunch of dumb fishermen is what they were trying to say. Can we relate? We're together on this, Brother Nick. And said, how are they speaking in our language? They're unlearned, but they were praising God and glorifying God because God is the one that can cross those things together. If God was the one that separated it at the Tower of Babel, God's also the one whenever the fire came down and rested upon them to put it back, amen, and that the ground at Calvary is even and it's flat and it's level. And so now Paul's been going around preaching. Many people said, Paul, stop preaching. He said, I can't help it. He said, I can't help it. He said, if I, he said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Paul said, they said, we're going to beat you. Paul said, you have to beat me. They beat him. They beat him with rods. They whipped him with whips. They did all these things. They put him in prison. And now, all of a sudden, Paul is headed back to Jerusalem. And all of his friends, all of the Christian church is going, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go back there. They're, they're going to hurt you. One person even said, I, I can't imagine this will be with much harm. You're going to go back. There's going to be much harm given. And Paul was like, you can't restrict 
or you can't prevent the Holy Ghost from doing in my life what I'm supposed to be doing. Paul was saying, this is my call. This is my ministry. This is my life. And he he had that burden to do that. And Paul said he was going back to Jerusalem. When he came into Jerusalem, Paul was accused of not sharing the truth. They were saying, you're going out here to the Gentiles. And they were calling him a Gentile too, although he was a Jew. Amen. Jewish blood, but that was born in a Gentile country is what we uh, call a Hellenistic Jew, which is Jew by blood, but born citizen of another country. Paul begins to talk and make his defense. They said, Paul, you're going around here telling everybody that it's wrong to be circumcised. You're taking away from the Jewish understanding of the word of God. You're telling all this stuff. And Paul never told those people, the Jewish people, that they shouldn't be circumcised. He told them this. He said, you're saying that you're circumcised in the flesh. He said, but I say unto you, except you're circumcised in the heart, what does it matter if you cut your flesh all to pieces? He said, what's it matter if you do good and give money to somebody if your heart is not right, if you've not truly been saved? Paul was saying, you can do all these outward signs of Abraham that was a symbol to the people of God, or you can do what he says today. Be saved by calling on the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. It's his blood and not the blood of a lamb. It's his blood and not the blood of two turtle doves, and you must be saved. And when you're baptized in his name, listen, the Bible says that when you Ask him to save you. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, and you'll be a testimony to all people that you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now these people are mad. And now Paul is in chains again. He's bound up. And now they say, Paul, what do you have to say for yourself? Paul kept saying, please let me talk to him. Please let me tell them. And they were saying, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to understand you. He said, please just let me speak. And he starts out here, and he says, men, brethren, fathers, Hear my defense that I say unto you today. And now look at verse 2. And when they had heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept more of the silence. See, Paul, when he was speaking as that Hellenistic Jew that he knew all of these words, but when he came to Jerusalem, what did Paul do? It's amazing. Don't you like your Bible? Paul begins to speak in Hebrew, and they went, hold up. You know what I mean? In the 80s, they said, hold a phone. Right? Hold up a minute. And they begin to listen to him, and they were like, this guy that's like going out here and you're calling him a Gentile that's trying to get away from all the Jewish traditions, he's speaking in our tongue. And they stopped talking, and they listened even the more. It says, I, in verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. He even told us one time in the Gospels, or in in the book of Acts, that he was, he excelled, he lived a Pharisee his whole life, but he excelled all of his teachers, even Gamaliel. The reason he brings this guy's name up, because he was one of the biggest Pharisees that the Jews knew. They, They knew that he was so fluent and so smart with the word of God, and Paul even said, I was brought up underneath the feet of that teacher. Paul said in one place, he wasn't boasting in pride. He said, but I even excelled them in all my teaching. And that was even before he accepted the true gospel of Jesus. And I'll tell you something, absolutely excelled all of his teachers. He says right here, he says, I was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death. Do you hear that? 
He said, I persecuted this way. What is he saying? He said, this way that I'm living, that you're speaking against, he said, I did the exact same things that you did. I persecuted the Christians. At one point, Paul said he even held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. Paul said, I was there. And look what he says. He said, I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest. And you can imagine at this point in time in his, in his defense uh, uh, message that he's given, he turns and says, and these high priests know who I am too. I mean, this is what he says in our country terminology. He says, and the high priest also does bear me witness. They know me and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren. He said, they all gave me charge. They gave me permission by writing me letters to where I could go and take all of these Christians. And he says what? To bring them bound back unto Jerusalem to be punished, to be killed. He says in verse 6, And it came to pass that as I made my journey, at this point in time you can hear, I did it my way, playing in the background. Paul says, As I made my journey, he said, And was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Hey, hold the phone. We already know that the, the sun, when it's at noontime, it's already bright. Paul points out that it was noontime and the sun was bright, but he said this light was brighter than that, that it shone all around me. And look at what it says in verse 7. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Paul's recapping what happened to him in Acts chapter 7 and 8. He's recapping this story, and he's bringing in just the good parts. You know what I mean? He's trying to tell his testimony, and he's being a witness for the Lord, and he's trying to share this in front of all the Jewish people. Later on, he gets to do it in front of Rome, in front of Felix, and in front of King Agrippa because Paul knew that the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, knew that all roads must lead from Rome too. And he thought, if I could get the gospel to Rome, I could get the gospel to all the ends of the earth, right? And now Paul is sitting here and he says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Many of you look and say, whenever he got saved, that God did the changing and changed his name to Paul and all that, but you don't understand the scriptures just say this. God didn't change his name. Paul was his Gentile name. But as he's sharing this testimony, when God spoke to him, God's son spoke to him on the road to Damascus, he said Saul, which is his Hebrew name. And now that he's sharing this story with the Hebrew people, he's saying, listen, the Lord's son, God's son, Jesus, spoke to me and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In the other portion of the scripture in Acts chapter number 8, it's one that's beautiful because he says, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And if there's anything that we can understand in Alabama, it is the fact that he was saying, why are you kicking against the goads, son? As you are yoked together and as the oxen would be yoked together behind them and behind their back uh, uh, back calf legs and stuff there would be these spots that they would put as they would be training the ones to do what they were supposed to do if they were to go left or right and pull those reins to go either way if that ox or that mule didn't want to go they'd kick against that and if they did what were they doing they were hurting themselves and Jesus is so good because Jesus talks to us where we are and he's like, Paul, you stubborn, hard-headed mule. Why are you kicking against that? You're just hurting yourself, man. You're just doing this on your own. And listen to what he says. And I answered, who art thou, Lord? 
And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecuteth. Hang on right there. We're doing a lot of, you know, reading and stopping, right? Hang on right there, because I want you to understand it. He says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Why in this scripture does he refer to himself as Jesus of Nazareth when Peter said, you are Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? When Matthew called him Jesus, the Son of God, the deity. When John, in the book of John, called him the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of God. Matthew, I mean, Mark and Luke called him, Mark called him the Son of Man, the Son of Man. But when Pilate had him in front of him, he said, what shall I do with this Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus that you call Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Whenever the Pharisees referred to Jesus, what did they refer to Jesus as? Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because they were pointing out that he was not just an ordinary Yeshua, Jesus, a Hebrew boy that was from Galilee or was from Dan. No, no, no. They were pointing out that this Jesus was the one that came out of Nazareth. And the reason they were doing that, because they were trying to ridicule him, because the prophecy about Jesus was that he would be born in Bethlehem. And that he would be the boy Jesus from Bethlehem. And we know the story he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised up and, and reared up in Nazareth. And what they were saying was, is he is not Jesus, the son of God. He is Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. He's a Nazareth person. He is born out of there, right? And it's, it's, it's an insult. But when Jesus comes to speak to Paul, he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I don't want you to confuse me with anyone. I get phone calls sometimes, and they go, hey, is this Steve Abney? And I go, yes, sir. They start talking to me for a little bit, and they go, man, it's been so long since I talked to you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yep, sure has it. I I've never talked to you. You know what I mean? I don't even know who you are. And they get to talking more and more, and I'm like, uh, and they say, you're not, I don't think you're Steve Abney I'm looking for. I said, no, I live in Kimberly. He lives in Mars. He's about 55 years old. I'm only about 45 years old. I'm the preacher, and he's the baseball coach. And they go, okay, talk to you later. When I say the preacher, it's like, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Boom. You know what I mean? They get the wrong person. But see, Jesus was pinpoint. He was precise with Paul to make sure that he knew that I'm the one, what, that you're persecuting. And he was saying that I am the one that will save you and you're kicking against me and you're persecuting me not to be mistaken by someone else, amen? He says in verse number nine, and they that were with me saw indeed a great light or the light and they were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake unto me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And look, he gave him specific instructions. And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus and there shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, he says, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. Now, wait a minute. Hold up. Hold the phone. Over back in Acts chapter number 8, Ananias wasn't too keen on going over and talking to Paul. When God said, I want you to go and speak to him, I have a man that's ready, he said, Lord, don't you know what he's doing? Don't you know that he's persecuting people, that he would kill me and do all this stuff? But Paul is recapping his testimony, and he's not changing or adding unto that. But now, in Acts chapter 7 and 8, Paul wasn't a brother 
to Ananias. But now through the power of the gospel and Paul sharing the gospel, he sees Ananias as a brother in Christ. Amen. And he says, he said, Brother Saul. He says, Receive thy sight. And that same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will. And look at this. See that just one. See, he, he saw Jesus in that great light. And you shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of whom thou hast seen and heard. And then look at this last portion. And let's not get it confused. And now why linger anymore? Why tarriest thou? Arise. Be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, Brother Steve, there's a problem there. So what you mean to tell me is I have to be baptized in order to wash my sins away, and then I call on the name of the Lord. If you look at that, if you look at that scripture, you go, Ananias says, all right, get up and get baptized and wash away your sins, call on the name of the Lord. You think that that would be like this sentence that would just kind of run on, and you're thinking that if you get baptized, then your sins are washed away because of the baptistry, and then you're calling on the name of the Lord. But that's not what's happening. Just like Paul now calls Saul or Ananias a brother in Christ, Paul is also recapping and understanding what happened to him. What he was saying was to a bunch of Jewish people, he wasn't speaking to Gentiles, he was defending himself to the Jews this day. We're all right on that? And so the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached at the southern steps, and I have a wonderful opportunity to step there, and what's beautiful about those southern steps is every single one of the steps that lead up to the temple on the southern steps are all different. Some of them are 8 inches, some of them are 18 inches. Another one may be 7 inches, another one may be about 24 inches. And you say, why would they do something dumb like that? It was done on purpose so that whenever they go, they would make sure that they would keep their steps as they walked in to the house of God. The priest would come through that way and they were to make sure that they were stepping the right step. If you just took up, up, off up those steps, you may trip and fall on that little bitty seven-inch step. But if you were careful, they were told to be careful with God's house, which we should learn from that kind of stuff too. So the Bible says Peter's standing on those southern steps and he says, listen, what are you seeing happening in front of you where these people are praising God in, the, in your language and you're hearing them but they're speaking with their own tongues? He said it's a, a prophecy of Joel being fulfilled. God said in the last days I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh. But it wasn't all the prophecy fulfilled because the sun didn't turn into sackcloth, the moon didn't turn into blood, the stars didn't fall out of heaven. It was just only a glimpse of the prophecy being fulfilled. Amen. And so he's saying all this is happening and that day Peter preached Jesus Christ unto all those Jewish Zionists that come in for the Passover and came in for Pentecost and he preached Jesus Christ he told them in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 which most people get hung up on they think that baptism washes away sins but Peter said listen you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins what he was saying was you not have to be baptized in order to be saved. Water is not going to wash your sins away. It's not going to wash your sins away. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash your sins away. He was saying you can't come and be baptized here in the name of the lamb that was slaughtered for you or the turtle doves that were slaughtered for you. But now, from now until forever, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And now that's what Paul is telling all this Jewish council. He said, I was baptized doing what? He said, I was, my sins were washed away by Jesus. How? By calling on his name. Amen. Listen, I don't have to get saved every Sunday. You don't have to get saved every Sunday. What you really need to do is just get saved once and then live it. 
You say, but Brother Steve, what about daily sins? All right, well, let's go to where Jesus, the master, was washing the disciples' feet. What did he do when he washed the disciples' feet? He knelt down, put a towel around himself, and he knelt down and he grabbed those feet and he began to wash them. What did Peter do? Just like you and I would do. What did he say? He washed my feet. I, thou wilt not wash my feet, right? You're not washing my feet. And Jesus, what did he say? He said, then you have no part with me. He said, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part with me. And then Peter changed his tune, just like we would too. Well, Lord, I mean, I, I was just kidding. Don't wash my feet. Just wash everything about me. You remember? He totally changed. He's like, Peter was always that way. He was like, just do everything. And probably, probably a Baptist if he was here with us today. He messed up everything. He said, don't only wash my feet, wash everything. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. He said, you're all clean already because one. He said, you've already had a bath. He said, it's not everything that needs to be washed again. He said, but just washing your feet. Why? Because in service of the Lord, you're constantly out there treading through these things. Temptations and sins come your way. And you need the Word of God every day in your life to help you do what? To take those sins. It says, by the washing of the water in the regeneration of what? The Word of God. Not the baptistry, the Word of God. The, in the Old Testament, when the high priest and all those went into the tabernacle or into the temple, every day they went to that brazen altar, and there were fiery, uh, listen, sacrifices up there, and blood and dirt and all that stuff. But before they went into the house of God, into the presence of the house of God in the tabernacle, they had to go by what was called the laver, which was a water basin in Brother Carl every day, every time. Even if they went out and come back in. It's like the airport. You had to get rechecked. They'd go out there to that water and they'd wash. What was amazing about that labor, it's a representation of the Word of God. You know why? Because it was hand-beaten out of brass. And when they looked into that labor and they were washing the filth of the earth off of them, their sins were paid for at that brazen altar. My sins were paid for at Calvary. I ain't got to go back over and get it again and again and again. I got saved at Calvary and I am saved to the uttermost. Sealed to the day of redemption. Amen? Don't you like it when you lick that envelope? It's sealed. And listen, if you're having a problem with your sealing up today, you have to pull that paper thing off now. You don't lick them anymore. You just pull that thing off and stick them together. But I'm sealed and saved. But every day they go to that laver, and you know what they would look at, Brandon? They would look at themselves. In that water and that brazen bowl was a reflection of themselves, and they understood how sinful they were. That's why I'm telling you you need the Word of God every day. You're clean. You're saved. But you don't get saved just to stick your Bible up on your coffee table. You don't get saved to stick your Bible there as they used to, put it in the back dash, and then whenever you bring it to church, it looks like this right here. You don't, get, don't do that. You need it to do what? To guard you every single day from temptation and sin. That's what Paul was talking about. Listen, if we're going to have a good walk with the Lord and we're going to be a witness for the Lord, number one, we've got to be under his direction. This is a command. If you haven't witnessed to someone and shared the gospel with them as a Christian, and you've been saved now for some time, this is not a choice for you. It is not only my job or my position to be the one that shares the gospel with people. You're a Christian. You're commanded. You're not asked. You're commanded, directed by General Jesus to share the gospel. 
It isn't something that we go, no, I just don't want to do that. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, he says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what would do good is for everybody to write this scripture down, underline it, or do something in their Bible because you need to hear those first words. You can't do it until after you receive the power of the Holy Ghost. You should not witness until you have first been saved, first are walking in holiness, because what you do when you're not doing those four things we talked about earlier, you go out and you witness for the Lord and you make these great big Twitter posts and Facebook posts about Jesus and the next thing people hear is the blankety-blank filth, filth coming out of you and, and drunkenness and just sinful things and cheating and running around. What you're doing in that is you're acting out of your flesh and you're still telling people about Jesus, but the whole time you're cutting the feet off of the church. You're cutting the feet and you're swiping the feet out from underneath them. Because our walk is very important. Our walk can't only be a Sunday morning walk. Our walk should not be a stroll with the Lord as we worship him on Sunday. Our walk should be an everyday commitment telling him every morning, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. And I'm not talking about just facing the bad things in life. I'm talking about being a witness. He said, you shall receive power. That word in the Greek is dunamis. It means dynamite power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then he says, and you will be witnesses unto me. You see that? It didn't say, and so will. And you could be witnesses. And you possibly, be, possibly will be witnesses. Nope. He said, you will be. You shall be. And I want you to notice this too. He even told this group of disciples, he said, you're going to be a witness unto me in Jerusalem. You're going to start in your home. Then you're going to go out to Judea. And then he even told them, you're going to go to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You know what he's saying, Brother Nick, when he said that? He's like, even those people you don't even like, when I nudge you, you tell them of me. And see, the thing is this, is that when God nudges us now, do we really go, okay, Lord, I'll speak it? Or do we sit back and argue with him about it and then try to figure out, Lord, I don't know if it's me or if it's you who want me to do this. I tell you, first of all, it ain't Satan. And second of all, I can tell you, it ain't you because you're not that good. You're just not that good. We're not that good. It's the Holy Spirit of God saying, that person needs a good word. That person needs a smile. You know what I was sharing this morning is that we do the everyday deposit. We just... Deposit the gospel into people. And I get to come along and deposit the gospel into somebody. Brother Carl gets to come along and water a little bit and do that. But then Brandon goes over there and he wins the person to the Lord. Do you think I'm mad at Brandon for doing that? No, the Bible says some plant and some water and God gives the increase. And every single one of us can witness and we can share to all people that are around us. The thing about it is you think you need to be a preacher to do that. Some of you have the gospel in your hand as a baseball, a basketball, a football. Uh, 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 I shared this morning about Craig, a paddle. You know what I mean? Craig has a paddle in his hand. Some of you have, a, a Brother Bill, a welding rod. And you say, what are you talking about, Brother Steve? You can't even tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ with a real welding rod in your hand. Yes, you can. Let me tell you how you can tell them there's no way these two metals could ever come together on their own. There's no way that you could ever be put together with with God anymore because mankind and God can't be brought together anymore but because of Jesus Christ. Just think of this welding rod being like Jesus. Brother Bill's got me. He knows where he's, we're tuned in. Just think of this welding rod being like Jesus.
Jesus. And all of a sudden, you start arcing that thing and welding them things together and tell them, now you try to pull that thing apart, it's put together. Those two different ones that were contrary against one another, were at enmity one another, were brought nigh now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now what happened is, is no, it's not the rod itself. That rod arced it so much that that metal mixed with that metal and that metal mixed with that metal. And the Bible says, to him that believeth, to him that have given the power to become the sons of God. Amen. Brought them together. The Bible says we're under direction. He says you will be witnesses. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Look at these words. Go. We know that word. Where do we always hear that word? Ready, set, go. I love joking around with kids. And when we do races like that, we do stack races and we do all that stuff. And I like the foot race. Even in Belize, I was racing those little kids. I, I felt like a big giant over there, you know, with those little shorter Indians and stuff. And I was excited, you know. I thought, I may be fat, but my legs are longer. I might beat them. And I'd go, we're going to race. And i go, ready? And the whole world knows this phrase, ready, set. And when I said ready, they're all like little soccer kids. And they all know that. It's like this wonderful universal language. Ready, set, and I go, green beans. And they'd all take off. And I go, I didn't say go. Why? Because we're all waiting on go. You as a Christian are no longer waiting on go. You're not waiting on go anymore. You, don't, you shouldn't sit in the Jack's booth and go, should I tell that person about Jesus? You know, <clears throat> I really need to tell them about Jesus. I feel like I really need to do that. You're not sitting around waiting on God to go, go. He's already said it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Where it says teach all nations, that word in the Greek means make disciples. It means this. Don't go out there just to get another mark on the wall. I, one more saved. I got, a, I got a commitment today, or I had a convert today. One more, one more, one more, in order just to build up a big old sheet of check marks. No, he says go and make disciples of them, baptizing them. Oh, here it is. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Why would we baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost? Because it's God the Father who drew you to him. It's God the Son who died for you. And it's God the Holy Spirit that you'll get if you accept him. Amen? When we were in Israel, I was in the Jordan River. Man, I was sitting down there, and I shared this story this morning. I was talking about no wonder whenever Jesus said, go over there to the shore, and you'll find a fish, and there'll be a, a mouth, uh, money in its mouth. When we got into that water, first of all, I was bald-headed and had a white robe on. I look like a hair Krishna selling carnations at the airport. And I get in there, and I'm like, this is just not my flavor. I looked like a cult leader. It was horrible. And I was like, all right, let me get in the water, and maybe they'll tone things down. Catfish are floating right beside me. Literally, I could just Mr. Miyagi those things and just grab one of them up if I wanted. I said, no wonder Jesus said go down there and get a fish, because you could just go, there it is right there, you know. They were everywhere, and I'm trying to focus. And a lady comes to me when we're on the bus. She knew I was going to be doing the baptisms. She said, I do not want to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I went, well, somebody else is going to have to baptize you then. She said, I just don't want to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I, I began to ask her, I said, why? The Bible specifically says that. She said, I just want to be baptized, and you can say this over me. And I was like, well, I, 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 just, I, I didn't want to tell her I won't, but I just said, I can't. I just went, okay. Well, she was in line. She got in the baptism line with the, cat, with the catfish and all. And we, we just, I just baptized three of these Pentecostal black women, and they were shouting it out. And I was like, yes, high-fiving, hugging on them. And, and my dad's over here on the other side, and, and, and one of our leaders and stuff. And she comes up. And so I did. I said, it's a privilege for me to be able to baptize you. And I put her under in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then I brought her up. <laughs> Amen.
she was under longer than others, but she got baptized this way. She got baptized, right? Because it's a command. Because all three of those, Spirit of God, the Son of God, and God himself, they all three pursued you in every way they pursued you. And the Bible says that you would teach all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Another scripture, Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 16, verse number 15 says what? And he said unto them, sit and rest a little while. No. He said, go. So we've seen in these scriptures already that he says, you will be my witnesses and you need to go. There's no need for you to wait anymore. There's no need for you to ask God for another sign. He's already said, you'll be my witness and go. Go and do it. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46 says this through 48. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. Don't you like the word behooved? We just don't use that word anymore. Like, son, if you do not do what I say, I'm going to be behooved to put my belt across your backside. You know, it means you're moved to do that. Jesus was moved to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance, look at these words, and remission of sin should be preached in his name among nations. That's why Hebrews says what? There is no other name whereby is given that men may be saved other than the name of who? Jesus. Jesus Christ. He says in the last part of that scripture, and you are witnesses of these things. And then look at this right here. A witness that's called up. How many of you Stayed home from school when you were sick. Now, I'm talking about 80s days. We got to go back to 80s and stuff like that. Today, you stay home sick from school. You can FaceTime who you want. You can Snapchat people. You can, you can uh, uh, watch Cartoon Network whenever you want. You can play a video game. When I stayed home from school sick, I love Lucy. The price is right. Perry Mason and Ben Matlock. And by that, time, by that time, Mom and Dad was back home. You know what I mean? Country boy Eddie in the morning. All of that stuff. And I was forced as a kid. I didn't have a gaming system. I was forced as a kid to watch all those old shows. Perry Mason would come on. Dun, 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 dun. Come on, some of you old people know what I'm talking about. And I would love, I mean, they'd come, he'd come in, <clears throat> man, dressed to the T, hair slicked back, good-looking guy, black and white show, <clears throat> and there was nothing else on. And he would call someone to the stand, and he would say that they were a witness. I'll call my next witness, blah, 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 so-and-so. You know what a witness was told to do? Three things. They were told to state the facts. A witness was called up there to state the facts. And I know you think this next one's probably like the same thing, to tell the truth. But they were to state the facts, and it had to be truthful facts. It had to be that truth of it all. And they were to tell of what they know. A witness was never called to the stand to tell about what they heard of or what they thought or felt about the situation. I never saw Perry Mason or Ben Matlock, Matlock with, with, with hot dog stains on his, on his suit. Uh, some of y'all watched it, you know what I'm talking about. I never heard them say to the witness, well, tell me your feelings on this. Tell me your interpretation of this or, or what you think. Even in the Bible, there was these guys. They were called the seven sons of Sceva. They, if they would have been a law firm, their business card would have been Sceva, 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 Sceva. You know what I mean? It, they, they thought that they could get in the business of religion. And so they went to this man that was possessed with demons, and they began to say to this man, we adjure you, we behoove you, we adjure you to come out of him. 
And this is what they said. In the name of Jesus Christ, of whom Paul preaches. And the demons said this. Paul we know. And Jesus we know. But who are you? That would be time to go, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'll see you later. No. Bible says those demons came out and they wounded that man, uh, those boys, and left them naked and wounded. <laughs> Listen, it's not a very good ministry to be naked and wounded. Why? Because they did not know Jesus. There's a Hebrew word of yada. It's not the one of yada or tuda that I told you about the other day, but it's yada. It's, and what it means is it means to have knowledge. Yada is wisdom or knowledge. But it doesn't mean it just to know of God. Yada, regular wisdom. Yada means this, to have knowledge because you have a relationship with him. And that's what you as a witness are called to do. Who better to talk about Jesus than someone who knows Jesus and what he has done for them. That's why you're important. That's why you think that God could never use you with a welding rod, but I tell you that he can. Acts chapter 4, verse number 20, Paul told us, he says, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. Paul said that my only thing to do is to tell the facts and to tell about what I have seen and what I have heard, not what I've heard of. He didn't tell them about what Peter preached about. He said, I saw a lot. He said, I was spoken to by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He told me that I was kicking against the bricks. He told him just exactly what he heard. Listen to what he says in Acts 26, verse 16, when he's speaking before another council there before Felix. He says, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, and to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which you've seen and the things in which I will appear unto thee. He says, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you will be under God's direction and under his command. The second thing is this, and we'll go through these other two quickly, is that don't forget this, you'll be under God's supervision. Now that doesn't mean that you'll be under my supervision, that I'll walk up there and witness with you and that I'll have my arm around you and make sure you're saying the right things and all that stuff because that's terrifying because you'll always feel like I don't, I'm not saying the right thing, I'm not saying the right thing. The Holy Spirit is with you. You know what? One of my favorite, I, I wanted to make a t-shirt out of it. One of my favorite things, I was going to call it Golo. We were actually going to get t-shirts to baptize people in. It was going to be Golo. And the reason is because in Matthew 28, he says go. Right? Verse 19. But in Matthew 28 and verse 20, look at what he says. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Do you see what that scripture says? He says, I'm not sending you out there by yourself. Immediately when Jesus says, I want you to go and be a witness of me, what do you say? Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. I don't, I don't know. And he says, no, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. This, this scripture is not intended for you to use of the reason you don't fly in airplanes. You know, lo, he'll be with us always. No, this scripture is to remind you always that when you're speaking, and if you're speaking on his behalf of the gospel, that the Lord is right there with you. The Holy Spirit's guiding you, and you're under his direction. Listen, Daniel chapter number 3 talked about this. Years and years ago, the Bible says there was these three Hebrew boys that were faced against bowing down and worshiping this golden image that a king Nebuchadnezzar had put up. And do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? He said, I'll, I'll burn all of you. He said, I'll heat the, heat the furnace up seven times hotter, right? And they said, well, it said, King, you'll do with us whatever you want, but be it known unto you. We, we, we're not careful in this matter. And what he means is we're not, we're not like rash or speaking hastily in this matter. He said, we thought this through, and if the Lord delivers us, then that's fine. And he said, but if the Lord doesn't, then be it known. We're not going to bow down. 
We're going to worship God. The Bible says they were thrown into the fire. The two bulky soldiers that threw them into the fire with all of their gear, they were burnt up. But then a pagan, idol-worshiping king looks over into the furnace, and he said, hey, hold the phone. Lord, he, he, he didn't say that. Holdest thou the, the call. <laughs> he said, didn't we throw three guys in there bound up? And they said, yeah, king. He said, well, lo, I see four and they're loosed walking around. And the fourth one is in the image of the Son of God. And God's with us no matter what. In 1999, you may remember the story. Let me show you a picture right here real quick of this family. They're called the Staines family. In 1999, you may remember this if you were kind of watching the news and broadcast. And some of the stations like CBN and other places like that told us about it. But this family, if you look from the right over there, that's Graham Staines. He's the father. He's the husband. And his daughter in the middle there, her name is Esther. And the wife on the left there, her name is Gladys. The two little boys there, the oldest one's name is Timothy, and the youngest one's name is Philip. This family set out from Queens, uh, Queensville or Queensland, Australia. He, was, he had trained to be a doctor, and she had trained to be a nurse. And they have set out to go on the mission field. God, uh, uh, Graham Staines felt like he was called into the mission field, was a preacher of the gospel, and he was like, I need to do something. And so they set out to go to India, where there are not only thousands of people, but millions of people. They have so many people that are there. And as they sit out there, you know where God led them to and what God led them to do? Open up a leprosy hospital of all things and leprosy and how it's easily contracted and all of this. And these people had lost their fingers and toes and members of the noses, ears and stuff because leprosy is such a damaging thing that happens to them. And so he set out to do that. Man, every day he was sharing the gospel with these people, building this hospital in the name of Jesus Christ and helping people out. His wife felt like she was called to go there. And so this guy would go not only to the hospital and he would preach, but he would have open-air gospel meetings. And you say, what is that? Uh, in, in a few more months, you're going to find out what open-air gospel meetings is when we start having some more services outside. Um, it's getting out there and just broadcasting the gospel. The guy would go wherever, set up a little place, and just begin to preach, and people would come up. And if you know India, you would understand that their main religion of Hindu and Buddhism is about idols and worshiping false idols of gold and silver and wood and all this stuff. And they really have no problem of accepting Jesus into their plurality or plural gods and just sticking him another cross or crucifix up on the wall because they go, fine, we'll just, we'll, if, if this one don't work for us, we'll take that one. And so they have a multiple God system. But something happened is, is that they began to pass this law just like a couple of years ago, if you remember, they did it again in India about no proselytization, that you couldn't, if all of this church members on this side were all Hindus and worshiping in the religion of Hinduism and Buddhism, and all of you were Christians over here, the government steps into the picture and goes, you can't go over and convert these people, and you can't go over and convert these people. We're going to solve this problem. And you say, well, what's the problem? Let me ask you this. What happens when the government gets involved? what is the biggest thing that they want? <laughs> Who said it first? Thank you, thank you. I waited all morning, and people were just like, I don't know. I'm like, you know it because you gripe about it every day, right? Money. So when money gets involved, whenever people are converted from their national religion of Hinduism, and they're no longer making idols of silver and gold and all that, and the sales are going down, and therefore all of that's impacting the economy, then government steps in and says, you Christian people can't do that because Christianity was on the rise. And in 1999, Graham Staines was faced with that conflict in his life. 
He was told you could not have an open, <clears throat> open air gospel meetings and do these things. But Graham Stain says, I cannot but preach the gospel. I have to preach the gospel to them. And so he set out for the hometown of where their village was, and he was setting out from there. And as he went out, he journeyed. He had a five-day trip, a five-day open-air gospel meeting that was planned. So his wife and his daughter stayed back at the hospital, leprosy hospital, and they went on their course, and he preached this five-day event with his two boys, Timothy and Philip. Preached every day. After that fifth day, they went in, and they were going to rest before they traveled back home. It was they didn't get to... They weren't put up in Hilton. If you've never been to a foreign country, you would understand that our five-star and four-star system really doesn't work out well over there. So you know what they did? They got in their station wagon, and they were going to sleep, laid the, chair, or laid the seats back, and was going to sleep there and travel home. And the next morning, you saw this picture on the news. Because militant Hindu people, government-driven, they came while... Graham and Philip and Timothy were asleep. They opened the door and beat them with clubs, shut the door back and stood all around them while they firebombed it and threw a bomb in there, threw a fire, uh, what do you call it, like a Molotov cocktail kind of thing, threw it in there. And if you remember, they stood there. As they were hollering and asking for help, People were coming in, was going to try to help them. The ones that he preached the crusade to that accepted Jesus. And the people beat them back. And they just stood around it and watched these, this dad and his two boys. And they said in the Fox Book of Martyrs that he was holding his boys in his hands and they died. Now you would think that Gladys and Esther would have said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. We came here on God's will and God's timing to build a hospital for these people. We came to preach the gospel to these people, but they didn't want it, and they killed my own children. You would think she'd say something like that, especially if she had any kind of American in her, because that's what we do. God, why am I going through all this, right? She didn't. She had two days to prepare to bury her kids, her two boys, and her son. And in those two days, she made the decision to stay. Nope. God not only called my husband to come here and to get this hospital completed, but God called me. And she spent five more years until 2004 and got everything finished at the hospital. And as they were putting the bodies of her two boys and her husband in the grave, this is the song that she broke out singing and everyone joined. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else can heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And this is what she sang. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No, not so dark, but his love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. And they were singing, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. 
somewhere between her seeing this picture and to bearing her children, she realized that all other things could be taken away. But there's nothing and no one like Jesus. And in your witness, you're afraid to tell a brother, a mother, a daughter, or a son about Jesus because you're afraid to lose a friendship. While Jesus says, I'm with you. I will be closer than a brother. He even says, I will stick closer to you than a brother. Here's the last thing. We are under God's direction. We are under God's command to do this. We are under God's supervision. But last of all, we are under God's obligation. We're under an obligation. Now I'm going to close, Brandon. You can go ahead and come. Don't, don't shut me off just yet. This is the most important part. Y'all know every Sunday when I say, Brandon, come on, this is the most important part. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1 that he was under obligation. He tells us, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You hearing that? That word desire right there is a word in the Greek. It's eukodia. And it means a heart's passionate drive. He says, it's my, my heart is, is it's, it's ordered to do that. He said, I'm moved by my heart to share the gospel with Israel. I want them to be saved. There's nobody probably in this room that can make the statement that Paul makes in a minute. There's no one that's probably ever prayed this or have ever told God these next words that we're going to say. Myself included. Nobody. I promise you. Paul wanted Israel to be saved so bad. Look at what he said in Romans chapter 9 in verse number 1 through 3. He said, I say the truth in Christ. Paul says, I'm a witness, and I'm bearing the facts, and I'm testifying of the truth in Jesus Christ. He said, I lie not. He said, my conscience also bearing witness, bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. He says, I'm about to say something to you that comes from my heart. And he says, and the Holy Ghost is bearing witness to this thought process, to my mind. Do you hear this? Paul's saying, I'm, I'm trying to tell you something that I feel in here, but it's the Holy Ghost moving me. And Paul says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul says, I am constantly. Have you ever seen someone go through grief? Maybe a death of a loved one. And you watch them in these next days after this happens. And they have this far off glance or look about them. <clears throat> and you know their heart is broken and their heart is heavy. You know what I'm talking about? Their heart's just overwhelmed and continual sorrow and heavy grief that's got them. And they're just looking off. But you know what they're doing? They're, they're replaying the thoughts of their mind. They're thinking about fishing trips with Papa. They're thinking about grandmothers and mothers and dads or husbands and wives. And they're continually in sorrow. Paul says, this is not from grief or from death. He says, no, I'm telling you, this comes from Christ. He says, it's coming out of my heart. He says, and my, my conscience is bearing witness of the Holy Ghost moving in my life. He said, I'm telling you this of the truth. He said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why, Paul, why? Listen to this statement. I promise you, you probably never said it. He says, for I, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So what's that mean? Paul says, if there was any possible way for me to be accursed, abandoned, or cast away from Christ, and Israel could be saved. 
Paul says, I do it. Let me tell you, those are thick, heavy words right there. Paul knew that there was no way he could be banished or accursed from Christ. But Paul constantly carried a burden about him when he witnessed that he said, if you could know Christ and the fullness of his salvation, and it took me not knowing him, Paul said, I'd rather you know him. Man, that's a witness. You're not understanding it, and I know it because it convicts us is what happens because we've never said a prayer like that. Have you ever prayed, Lord, save my son, my daughter? Even if I could walk away and they would be saved, I would be okay with that, Lord. What? That, that is heavy praying. That's serious praying. That's the kind of burden that you and I are supposed to have. We are obligated to share the gospel. <laughs> you remember I told you when I was sick that I'd stay home. Couldn't play games and do all that stuff and was forced to watch. Those days were so long. It was so long. I was like, oh my gosh. Perry Mason, oh my gosh. But Sunday for me as a kid was some of the worst days. Because my dad would come home after church and it was a spiritual directive to take a nap. And I'm enjoying that spiritual directive. As a matter of fact, when I get done here, that's where I'm going. God willing. But my dad was a miracle. He was amazing. He was a magician or, or a miracle worker. He could watch television through his eyelids. He would lay back in a recliner and go on. He'd do this. Like a chimney. He was asleep. And Western's Bonanza, the Rifleman, the Paladin, and all these shows would be on. I was like, oh. So I would get the remote. You know what the remote was? I'd get up out of my seat and walk to the TV. And I would go so quietly, and I'd turn the volume down so it didn't just channel just disturb him. And I'd turn it down, and then I'd try to turn that knob over to a channel. And my dad would go, <clears throat> I was watching that. Well, that's amazing. Your eyes were closed. He could tell you everything about it. Right? He's at home right now, and I guarantee you if he's watching, he's probably going, I was listening to it. I hated it. Every day, the same old stinking Western line, John Wayne. That's the way they walk. They had to. They rode horses all the time. They walk out there every single episode, Hoss and Bonanza. They walk out. Hoss had this huge hat because he had a huge head. Every one of them, you know, it was always so awesome because they'd, they'd go over there and they'd, they'd look at the person on the other side of the counter, well, which we know would be the bartender, or the ladies, and they'd flip their hat and they'd go, much obliged. Didn't you like that? When I, even when I was a kid, you know what I mean? They'd go, much obliged, little lady. That's what I'm going to tell Patty when we get through eating today. Much obliged. You think about that. When I was a kid, I entertained, man. We had a one-string bass guitar, and I had sunglasses, and I'd put the best Elvis on show you'd ever, ever seen. Vegas could never compare to the living room in my house. Whenever I walked, went, then when Sylvester Stallone come out, I was the best boxer in the whole wide world. I did everything. But when it was cowboy day, I'd walk in there, and Mom would have biscuits and everything ready, and I'd go in there and I'd go, much obliged. Sit down and eat. Right? Because we look at those stupid terms like that, we go, what is it? You know what much obliged means? That means I'm much obligated to you. It means this, I am indebted 
to you. I am indebted to you. It means, obligation means indebtedness. So to use the phrase much obliged means to say, I am totally indebted unto you. It can sometimes be considered old-fashioned. It originated sometimes in the late 1500s, and it was very popular in the 1600s, and it is used much less in our vocabulary today. But I wrote this, but what if every Christian, it would help them out if they would feel much obliged to their families, if we felt much obliged to our friends or to everyone concerning the gospel. Paul was much obliged. Paul, the Lord said, Paul, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem and you're going to share the gospel but you're going to be bound in chains and I need you to share the truth with them and you can see Paul going I'm much obliged Lord I am indebted to you much obliged you can see Paul God I want to go to Rome and share the gospel he said you're going to go to Rome but you're going to be shipwrecked you're going to go in chains and be bound up and you're going to share it with Felix and you're going to share it with King Agrippa and Paul would say much obliged Lord much obliged, Lord. What if the Lord and the Holy Spirit nudges you today while you're eating supper somewhere or while you're out and about doing your Sunday afternoon things and he says, I want you to speak to them. Instead of arguing with much complaint, tell the Lord today, I'm much obliged. Lord, I'm indebted to you to share it. I'm indebted unto you to tell my family about your son, Jesus Christ. I am indebted unto you because if it were not for you, I have nothing. That's what Gladys Staines did. I'm much obliged to stay here and to finish the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ for five more years. You ought to get up and be much obliged to walk across the table and to tell someone that the Lord loves them. You shouldn't have to be begged. It should be our privilege. And we don't tip our hat at the Lord. But no, we give our thanks to him for what he did for us at Calvary. Father, will you help us?